Isn't it good to be here today? Man, it's been fantastic. I cannot tell you how much, Brian, I appreciated your words this morning. I know that we were probably sitting here going, man, he said 45 minutes. He wasn't joking. But hey, let's just be upfront on this. I could listen to Brian talk all day. His passion for the subject material, his passion for the work is what makes Brian special to us and the perfect man for the missionary, the deaconship that's overseeing the missionary work. Really appreciate everything you're doing, Brian. You and Angie do a fantastic work together, and we are honored to have you as part of us here. You know, that 100,000, I felt the collective oxygen in the room drop when Brian said that number. Did you guys feel that too? Well, let's add 1,001 to the names of, and numbers of people that have been brought to the Lord for, through the efforts of what Enterprise Boulevard is doing. Last Thursday night, Logan Miller put on our Lord in baptism. I say Thursday night, it could have been Friday morning. It was late when he had made that decision to come down to the building and get in the water. He's not with us this morning. He's with his family. This is his last weekend in town before he goes off for his MOS training. That's military occupational specialty for you non-military uh, folks. He'll be gone for about six months. So keep Logan in your prayers. We'll hopefully get some contact information of where we can send cards and letters of encouragement to him yeah, in the next few months as he's going to be going through that. I want to remind everyone tonight we got singing at 6 p.m. here at the building, Tuesday. Uh, Brian already mentioned it, but I think... Bud, is it your brother Bill that's heading that up? Oh, I, did, I had to laugh. <laughs> Leger had said, Bill, I know he was looking at Bud. It's Bud that's doing it. Uh, and then reminder, everybody, Thursday, everyone can sing. We'll continue with that. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, guys. Let's just get right into the lesson this morning. <clears throat> we're in 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to find our time. But I did a quick Google search this week. It's not real difficult. Uh, to find out what Americans were afraid of in 2021, right? Can you guess what was on tops of the list? You're wrong. It's not COVID. It was corrupt government. Now, what was interesting about that is that it, they asked you to, be, to tell what side of the aisle you were on, and it was about even on both sides of the aisle that the majority of Americans in this country are afraid of corrupt government. You know what was next? Yeah, now that COVID's not number one, you're like, well, I want to say COVID, but I might be wrong. You're right, you're wrong. It's not COVID. It's fear of the loss of a loved one. The next. Yeah, yeah, you guys are like, is it? No, it wasn't. Civil unrest. The next. Economic collapse. The next one was COVID. All right, we finally got it. All right. So people, we got it. At least it hit the top five. Then as the list goes on, it was pollution and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it seems like every day we are blasted with some reason to be afraid, aren't we? We, we get it over the radio. We get it over the television. We get it from our own brains because let's just tell the truth. We don't, how many of us need the media or the government to tell us what to be afraid of? Nobody? Okay, I just wanted to make sure because 
we do a pretty good job of that on our own, right? Figuring out what we can be afraid of. Uh, and when you look at even just, not even 2021, but you think of, let's just see how many of us here this morning fit into this category of common fears. How many of us are afraid of flying? Zach, okay, thank you for being honest. How many of us are afraid of heights? Okay, here's, here's my wife's favorite, spiders. Man, the hands went up quick on that one. Snakes? Why do we, hey, there's a lot of people here this morning that are afraid of snakes and spiders. Why do you live in Louisiana? Come on, man, half this state is, is snakes and spiders, right? Okay, what about needles? Anybody afraid of needles? A couple of us are. Taylor, are you afraid of everything? Oh, okay. But you're the only normal one here with me. That was last week, right? But look at what Peter says when we start talking about the message that Peter has been delivering through all of this. And let's try and take this idea of what is fear and put it into its proper perspective, okay? Because Peter tells us point blank that you, he's talking to Christians, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's possession. Now, if there's any line in scripture that should make us feel warm and fuzzy, it's that one right there right? You are God's possession. And we understand what that means when we hear that, right? But it's not an understanding that Peter takes us to this morning. It's actual application. We got to move beyond the academic and actually get into how do you live the life as if, or, and it's not as if, as God's possession. What does that look like? And we've talked about that some, and we talked about that last week about just acting normal, being who God has called you to be, not forcing behaviors or just acting naturally through the course of things. And so now he's gonna move into probably some section of the scripture that is going to cause us to be afraid. And I think that's his point, right? So join with me as we look at 1 Peter chapter three. We're gonna start reading in verse 13 and we're gonna just read a couple of verses through to verse 17. It starts out, he says, "'Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous "'for what is good?' But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. So notice the basic point that Peter takes us to at the very beginning of the text. And he asks a very simple question. I think a third grader could answer this question. And the question is very simple. Who can harm you as God's possession? Who can harm you if you are actually excited, that's what the word zealous means, excited to do what is right? What is there to fear is where Peter takes us to. John puts it this way in 1 John 4, 4. He says, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. There's an idea that the biblical writers are presenting to us is that there is a particular or specific power that comes from being God's. One that is not found anywhere else but from God. And we are recipients of that power. That's part of the benefit and blessing of being Christian. 
We are then made as God's possession. Now, any type of physical damage, right? And some of us have experienced physical damage through the course of our lives, so we understand that. But, so any type of physical damage that can be caused is not to be factored into the, be- the equation of how we behave, okay? Because multiple times in the scriptures, we are told that suffering in this life for the sake of righteousness comes with a blessing. That includes the physical sufferings, all right? Now, understand, this isn't, and Peter is not, I'm convinced that Peter is not telling us to go and do foolish things so that we can receive those blessings, right? We're just not gonna put God to the test. That was the point of our reading this morning that Bud brought to us, right? Satan takes Jesus up onto the temple. He says, hey, here's the deal, Jesus. Why don't you chuck yourself off of here? Because the scriptures say, you won't be harmed. And what is Jesus's response? You pick up on that? It's also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. So this is really kind of fun stuff here because what is Jesus basically telling Satan? I'm not gonna defy natural law of gravity and expect God to save me. I'm not gonna go do something foolish just to make God prove that he's gonna actually do what he said he was gonna do. That is testing God, and that is, by the way, not what Peter is addressing here in the text. In fact, no biblical writer will tell us to act foolishly so that we can get a blessing, okay? But what Peter addresses and what Peter is saying here is, listen, guys, here's the deal. You're God's possession. Who can actually harm you if you're doing what's right? Who can actually harm you because you are God's possession? So, so, so what if you suffer when you're doing the right thing. You're in good company if you actually find yourself suffering for doing the right thing. And can you just in your head list the amount of people that suffered for doing the right thing? Do you find yourself in good company when you think of that list? And I think there's degrees of suffering, right? You know, some of us may, may only experience some minor annoyance to, to even just loss of livelihood or death or some of the suffering that Brian had mentioned this morning about what these missionaries have to deal with in foreign countries. So I think that there's degrees of suffering, but here's the deal. I don't think it matters. Peter does not make a distinction in the text as to the degree of suffering, which means that what might be minor to one person, which is still suffering because they've done what's right, and what might be major to another person because they've done what's right is still viewed the same by God as suffering and the blessings come on both of them. There's no, we're the ones that put that competition in there, by the way. We're the ones that look at each other and was like, man, Derwin, I know you're suffering right now, but my suffering is way worse than yours. which by the way, means my blessings are gonna be bigger. Stinks to be you, buddy. We're the ones that bring that mindset into the picture. God is not the one that presents this idea to us, okay? What matters, and here's where we get down to brass tacks, what matters is the why to our suffering. That's what matters. And Peter makes it very clear that there is no blessing, there is no benefit to suffering for doing wrong. Because here's the deal, if I suffer because I've broken the law, 
That's what's supposed to happen. Okay? That's, listen, that's cause and effect. That's a natural law of the universe. That's just what's supposed to happen. But if I'm suffering because I did what is good, that's a very different matter altogether. And that's why it matters is that we're zealous for what is right. Not, notice what I said, zealous for what is right, not zealous for being proven right. Which I think a lot of times we get it into our heads that that's really what this whole Christianity thing is all about. Being that I'm gonna prove I'm right and I'm gonna suffer for it, I know. Huh. It's being zealous for what is right, loving the truth. And not just loving the truth, but loving doing the truth. And this attitude actually only happens once we've placed Christ in his proper place, right? Notice what he says there uh, in verse 15. He says, sanctify. Bud's been bugging me for months about talking about sanctification. Here we go, Bud. You ready? Sanctification. It's a big word, right? And how many of us know what it means? A couple of us. I'm not surprised. It's one of those, it's like a foreign language to us. Sometimes we, we speak Christianese and we don't even really know that we're speaking Christianese when we're using words. But sanctification or sanctify is very simple, okay? Raise your hand if you have Tupperware in your house. We have Tupperware. Raise your hand if you have nice dishes like china, stuff you only pull out for special occasions and company, okay? Sanctified, common. Tupperware is common. You let the dogs eat out of it. You may even eat out of it. Doesn't matter. Everybody uses it. But the china only comes out for a specific purpose and special purpose. That's sanctification. That's what it means to sanctify. That's another word for sanctify, holy. All right? And it's very different than common. And, I, and I'm convinced that as people, we're going to have common things that we're concerned with. All right? I, I, I just think that that's a natural part of, of life. That's a common thing that we're gonna be concerned with. But the one thing that is special, the one thing that is different, the one thing that is holy from everything else, Peter says, Jesus. On his throne in your heart. And when Jesus reigns on his throne in your heart, notice what happens and what flows from all of these things, that when Jesus is actually at the center of our being as Lord, everything else falls into place. Everything else falls in line because our will then is his will. This guides us in our defense of answering why we have hope. Now understand, I think we hear that word defense and we maybe think it's a different thing than what Peter's actually saying. It really only means that when someone asks you why you have hope, you're able to intelligently reason with the individual as to why you believe and have hope. That's all that is. It's not like you have to stand there with all of your team of 12 lawyers behind you as you're making some kind of defense for what you're doing. No, it's just, why are you doing that? Well, I'm, I can intelligently tell you why I do what I do. It's not being defensive either. Right? Anybody ever get defensive when you were asked why you were a Christian? That's not what Peter is addressing here, where we're offended that someone, that's a soapbox for another day. Like we're offended about being actually called a Christian. No, it's just, hey guys, I believe what I believe and here's the reasoning why. 
I, I, it's not something that I haven't thought through. It's intelligent reasoning through all of this. And, and I'm rational in the conversation with people. And the reason I can be rational, remember this all goes back to sanctifying Christ as Lord in your hearts. The reason I can be rational in my conversation with people and talking about Jesus is because I have a clean conscience. Fun, right? I don't have to worry about what I'm doing. And the idea of suffering is an uncomfortable one. No one likes the idea of pain. No one likes the idea of suffering. And I think that here's where the real challenge comes in for us is because we don't like the idea of suffering and we don't like the idea of pain, Satan will use that against us to cause us to not put ourselves into positions where we might actually have to suffer for what is right. And Peter addresses these underlying fears that one might have in those types of situations. When you look at verse 14, I think this quote that he brings up here from Isaiah 8, and we'll go there here in a second, but I think it can be taken a couple of ways. When he says, do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, I think first you can take it as saying, don't be afraid of of what they can do to you. Okay? And, And most of us probably take it that way. I know I did for a long time. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I don't think it takes us far enough in understanding what Peter is actually talking about here, right? And and that's why I think it's better when viewed in its context, original context from Isaiah chapter 8. In Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 through 15, this is where the prophet says what Peter quoted here. And it says, For thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people. That's our beginning understanding of this context, saying, You are not to say it's a conspiracy in regard to all this people call a conspiracy, and you're not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. Then he shall become a sanctuary. That's Then God shall become a sanctuary. But to both the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over them. Then they will fall and be broken. They will even be snared and caught. So understand, Peter is not saying, don't be afraid. Because I'm convinced that fear is a natural part of the human existence. We're we're going to be afraid, all right? What Peter is saying is what Isaiah is saying. What he's saying is, don't be afraid of what everybody else is afraid of. All right, don't walk in the way of this people. Don't live like most people live in a constant state of fear. How many of us know people that are afraid of anything and everything? I do. You know what the problem is in all that? Afraid of the wrong thing. Afraid of the wrong person. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 13, did you guys notice? Who is supposed to be the source of our fear? And when you look at a person who is afraid of anything and everything, all right, because they've, they've misplaced their fear, 
their behaviors are going to be driven by what they're afraid of. Same for us. Our behaviors will be driven by our fear. And what does Isaiah say there? He shall, oh, sorry, wrong. He, God, shall be your fear. He shall be your dread. And I think at times we can look at this and think, oh, man, we're so afraid of God that we don't do anything. And that's not the point of what Isaiah is saying, and that's definitely not the point of what Peter is presenting to us. Peter's encouragement here is that there is a better way of living, one that is free of what everybody else is afraid of. And real quick, Peter is pretty well-versed in being afraid. You know that, right? You just look at the story of Jesus with the disciples. How many times was he afraid of the wrong thing? The first instance that we get of him with Jesus is Jesus is sleeping in the boat. And what are they afraid of? We're dying out here. Wait, don't you care for us? Wake up, man. And what does Jesus say? Why are you afraid? You know, we talked about this at the beginning of the year. They're in the boat. They see Jesus walking. What do they say? Ah, ghost. And what does Jesus say? Don't be afraid. They land the boat. They're at the garrisons. Naked, crazy guy comes running at them. And guess what they were? Afraid. Jesus is arrested. They ran for fear. Jesus is buried. They're hiding because of fear. And by the time we hit Acts chapter 5, after they have been beaten, they went on their way. This is Peter, by the way. They went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Where's the fear? See, all the fear that they had experienced before this time is gone. And now fear of the Lord guides their behaviors. Why is that possible? Because Christ has been sanctified as Lord in their hearts, and they then therefore carry a clean conscience. But it took some time for him to learn that. See, Jesus had proven time and again that he was sufficient to save the apostles from any physical aspects of life that they might receive damage in or might suffer through especially when they were afraid. Well, guys, if Jesus has the power to protect in the physical aspects of things that the apostles are afraid of, how much more so the spiritual side of things? If they were safe in his physical presence, how much more are they safe as God's possession because of what Jesus had accomplished? And if they were safe here, and they're safe here, what is there to be afraid of?
So I'll leave the question, leave you with the question. Based off of what we see in the scriptures of Jesus taking care of people physically, based off of what we've seen in Jesus taking care of uh, people spiritually, and we see the example that they're setting about fear and understanding what is there to be afraid of. What are you afraid of this morning? It's a very personal question, right? Like, Jeremy, you can't ask me what I'm afraid of. That's personal. Okay, fine. How does that fear drive your behaviors? Is that a better question? Perhaps you have misplaced fear. Maybe you're like those people that we've been talking about this morning that are just afraid of anything and everything, not understanding where your fear is supposed to reside. Because I'm here to tell you this morning that you can be, and God will let you be afraid of anything and everything. But by acting in that way and being like that, you are not fulfilling the purpose that he called you to fulfill. He called us to be free. But that fear is not a, or that freedom, excuse me, is not a removal of all fear. We still, listen, our God is an all-consuming fire. I've read that somewhere. I think fear is a pretty healthy thing in this point. But it's that fear that drives our behaviors, that guides us in this world of how we're supposed to be behaving, how we're supposed to be acting as we fulfill God's purpose. Man, my prayer for you is that you're not afraid of anything and everything. Because I think when we are, we lose purpose, we lose motivation, we lose, we lose the light of Jesus. And I think that our light shines brightest when we put our fear where it belongs. So let's cast off misplaced fear. Let's be done with it. Let's not be afraid what everybody tells us to be afraid of or what we formulate in our own mind as we live for Jesus, but let's actually live as free people, understanding the freedom that comes from not being afraid of what they're afraid of and also not allowing ourselves to be intimidated by what they're afraid of. But actually being the light that Jesus has called us to be right here, not 2801 Enterprise Boulevard, the city, our workplace, our neighborhoods, but being the light right here, right now. You can do it. I can do it. We can do it. Because greater is the power that is within us than anywhere else in this world. Hank's got a song for us. We're going to stand and sing it. I think it's I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And what a great song to finish off our, our time of worship with this morning, of this cognitive ability to choose to follow, to, not, to move through fear and actually embrace the truth that is Jesus Christ. And as we stand and sing this song, you find yourself with misplaced fear this morning. Shed it. Chuck it in the garbage. It ain't doing you no good. Embrace the truth of Jesus in your life. Now, whether that's initially making the confession of him as the Christ and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, a cleansing of the conscience, which we'll deal with, Lord willing, next week, 
Or you've been living the life of a Christian and come to a realization that you have been placing your fear in the wrong place and you can't be free. And you're ready to get rid of it. Whatever it is, whatever place you find yourself this morning, know that we're here to encourage you because we love you. We're here to pray for you because we love you. And we're here to help you because we love you. The elders encourage you to make your needs known by coming forward or by meeting with them separately after the end of the worship this morning while we stand and sing.